0: want to look at something together this morning to the book of deuteronomy and deuteronomy chapter 18 and commencing at verse 10 verse 10 of, of deuteronomy chapter 18 then it says let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire who practices divination or sorcery interprets omens engages in witchcraft or casts spells or who is a medium, or spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because these, of these detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. And then 1 John, if you come with me now into the New Testament. And if you go to the book of Revelation and come back a number of pages, you'll come to the books of John, not John's gospel, 1 John. So go to Revelation and work back a little bit and you'll come to 1 John. And 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. He, verse 8 of 1 John 3, he who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Or another translation says to destroy the works of the evil one. To destroy the devil's work. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the evil one. And we look at that together just for a few moments. Uh, But this morning, I just want to take up a theme. I want to look at Halloween, just for a moment or two, and the response of the church. But more more than that, what I can do in my own Christian life, and the response that I can make in my Christian walk. And so, I've entitled it, Halloween, The Trick Behind the Treat. I just want to take a few moments, uh, looking to be as balanced as I can, uh, not to spend too much time looking at the bad stuff, but looking endeavouring to look at God of the good stuff. Uh, but we need to bear in mind that the Jesus has come for this purpose. He's been revealed to destroy the works of the evil one. And so he has on the power, through the power of the cross, which is what we've been singing and worshipping this morning. You know, just as a cursory, uh, having a look really, I was in a well-known um, superstore in Long Eaton that has an American background I'm not going to say which one it is but you probably guessed which one it is by now and particularly an entire aisle the entire aisle it used to be that it was just a little corner now the entire aisle was absolutely festooned in Halloween stuff and goodies and sweets and, and fun masks and all this sort of stuff and I sort of stood back and, and, and um, had a good look at it from a distance, really. And it was loads of people. It's just like doing your Christmas shopping, really. It was, you know, and uh, all that sort of stuff. And it's, it's become big business today. That's what I want to say. Um, the, the whole, the way that Halloween has developed in our nation, historically it's been around, but has now overtaken something like bonfire night and fireworks and, and that sort of stuff. Uh, and predominantly been driven quite a lot by... Business and the sale of fun masks, so-called sweets, etc., etc., and all the other stuff that goes with it—coloring books, pens, and all sorts of stuff—and everything else that goes with it. So it's interesting that there is a sort of a bit of a bandwagon, and it's rolling at quite a pace and increasing. Um, So shops are sort of full of that sort of stuff, and and it's being driven by an an economic uh, reasons as well. Um, On the other side of it, people then would say to you, you know, uh, Halloween. The parties, the sort of masks, it's, it's just a bit of harmless fun. It's, it's based on having fun. And I have to say, probably for a lot of people, it's an opportunity to have a party on a dark night and throw a party. And I don't doubt that that is the case um, for a lot of people. But is it—is it really, I will ask the question, is it harmless fun? I think for a lot of people, it's just having a bit of fun and not realising the stuff that goes behind But um, I asked the question, is it really just harmless fun? But that's what people will say. You know, it's hilarious, a bit of mischief, it's a bit of fun, it breaks the winter blues. We've got Christmas to look forward to, a bit more fun then, we'll have an even bigger party then. It's just another one of those party type things. And generally, that's what people would say and and what they feel. In the film E.T., there was a film that Steven Spielberg uh, directed you know, some years ago. It became a Hollywood blockbuster. And in the film E.T., it's really all about um, extraterrestrials, the scientific age... Um, you know outer space science being contacted by um, uh, other intelligent beings from other planets and in the background as a cameo scene Halloween is going on in the background I don't know if you've ever seen the film but E.T. they dress E.T. up as a bit of a ghost put a put a, just a white sheet over him and the children are going trick-or-treating in, in America at that time it, it, this is sort of maybe 20 the film 20 25 years ago perhaps I don't know but it was getting pretty big in the States and what sp- Steven Spielberg is really sort of portraying in the film cleverly is that this whole thing of Halloween, it's just harmless fun. The real stuff is the scientific age in which we're living in, extraterrestrials, life out there. And and it's all set in the scene of Halloween going on in the background. And the subtlety is that this is just a bit of fun. The reality is the scientific age in which we're living in, extraterrestrials reaching out to the universe, that sort of thing. And yet Spielberg is very interested in the paranormal and everything that went around and went with it. And in fact, actual fact, a lot of UFO type of stuff is often linked with looking at the paranormal, uh, ghosts, spirits, poltergeists, all that sort of stuff as well. In schools throughout our, our land, you know, um, educationists would see stories about yeah, ghouls, ghosts, witches uh, as a means of stimulating a child's imagination and creativity in creative writing looking at ancient um, uh, stories or myths or legends. And it's pitched at that type of level and in, in, in an idea to um, be writing creatively. And so particularly at this time of the year, if you're a parent, you'll find that you, you come across this you know, happening um, in the classroom and, and with your children. It's quite a lot. And the idea is it's, it's harmless fun. It's a bit of a laugh. It's creative, creative writing. It's myths, it's stories, it's legends. There aren't witches that, you know, it's just, that doesn't happen today. That, that, you know, we're living in a, a scientific age. We, we're much more sophisticated now. That was for an era when they were superstitious and everybody was scared of their shadow. Everyone lived in the dark. You know, the clocks go back. So now, you know, it's, you know the, how dark it is in the morning, etc. etc. We all used to live in the dark, but now we live in the light. It's more sophisticated. This doesn't have any bearing on us anymore. But does it? The question is, but does it? I asked the question, and obviously I want to just look at that for a couple of moments. You know, our nation has witnessed um, a rise in the interest of the supernatural and the occult. There's been an exponential rise in the um, supernatural in this country. Across the Western world, in actual fact. Um, There's a rise of what we call the New Atheists. Uh, Professor St- uh, Stephen Dawkins, um, uh, militant atheism. But with militant atheism and the new atheism that has arisen um, in the Western world, which is an interesting story in itself, but that's for another day, there has also risen, arisen a, a deep sense of spirituality and hunger and a desire to fill something of the heart and the vacuum of the heart. Um, and people are turning and looking towards spiritual things, spirituality, not necessarily the church, but looking towards the supernatural realm and uh, don't let people say that it doesn't exist anymore. that People don't talk about that. You've only got to go into any decent bookshop and look at the mind, body and spirit section. And it will be absolutely festooned with not only self-help and, and uh, you know, sort of your own help yourself psychology type of stuff. But also a whole area of self-help psychology weaved with spirituality, parapsychology and all the other superstitious and all the other supernatural stuff that goes with it. Um, In the mid-90s, you can tell what I was watching this particular day, GMTV. GMTV had sort of started up in those days. And on GMTV, then this isn't a scientific poll, by the way, but I remember at the time, um, it must have been early one morning, and... um, Seen something on, on GMTV, and they did a poll, and it was sort of about 1995, mid 90s. I remember writing it down because it was very interesting. And they asked the question: Is the supernatural? Is there such thing as a supernatural, or is it super nonsense? Now, this is not a um, scientific poll, but um, you know, millions of people were watching that program at that time. And at the end of the program, something like you know, um, not the end, the next day when they they came back, they had out of this, oh, I don't know how many. Tens of thousands of people would have voted, and you just pressed A or B on your telephone button or whatever it was, I can't remember. Um, 80%, 87% of people who are, were asked that sort of question, who were watching TV at that time, said they believed in the supernatural and had experience of the supernatural. Angels, visions, dreams, uh, mediums, fortune telling, you, you name it. 87% of people responding said, Yes, I believe in something supernatural. This is about 1995. We've moved on quite a bit then. And about 13% said it was super nonsense. Really interesting, isn't it? That there is an interest amongst the general public in something more to life. I came across some statistics some years ago. We've moved on probably in time a lot from them. But this is a bit of a a snapshot some time ago. 1989, uh, Occult Census. Don't ask me how I got hold of it, but don't worry. It was all through legitimate Christian means, and it was in a Christian um, uh, directory. But this is what they found. In the 1989 Occult Census, it was estimated that there were, this was some time ago, a snapshot, you know, 20-odd, 30-odd years ago, 20-odd uh, years ago, whatever it was, estimated some 250,000 witches and practicing pagans in the UK. They registered. These were registered. 250,000, around right about 1989, That's those that register. It's quite a lot, isn't it? And there's countless, you know, we've moved in that time. Others have questioned this figure. Maybe some have said estimates, maybe around 100,000 at that time. But there was a big debate going on. Uh, At the same time, when they registered, something like 250,000 occultists and pagans, people that follow um, paganism is... uh, Spoken of as the oldest religion of the u- of the universe. That's what pagans would believe, and that's what they tell you. Um, at the time, round about that time in eighty nine, um, it was noted that there were eighty thousand uh, registered witches and fortune tellers. Actual registered witches who belonged to you know. I suppose there's an association of witches out there somewhere, or something like that. But you know, it's, we laugh. But it, it, it's that they're very open, even more so now uh, about Their sort of belief system. And at the time, there were 30,000 registered clergy in the UK in 1989. So 80,000 registered witches back then and 30,000 registered clergy. Interesting. I mean, statistics, you can do all sorts of things with statistics, I realise that. In the same survey of 1989, occult census, a thousand people were asked, when did you become interested in the occult? The word occult means hidden literally means hidden. Uh, so occult practice is looking for hidden wisdom and hidden meaning. That's all it literally means. And so a 1,000 people were polled uh, in this census. When did you become interested in the occult and occultism? When did you sort of get involved or get in sort of interested in it? And something like 67% of respondents said, round about just before the age of 18. In other words, what they were finding was that um, people were interested When you're younger, you're open and hearts are open to fresh things, new ideas, new things. Interesting that in the church in general, there is a decline in younger people. And yet there is a desire for spirituality across the age range, particularly also in younger people, when their hearts aren't definitely set on a set sense of values. Something like 67% at that time. It was just a little poll, 1,000 people at that time. So things chop and change, I realise. But very interesting. So what we find is then that um, the whole realm of the occult and those type of practice and paganism is appealing to hearts and minds. It appeals to the sense of spirituality in the human spirit and particularly in the younger age range. Particularly in open hearts and open minds. Those that are not maybe set themselves in a a belief system. And so the younger are more open to some degree. Halloween, its roots then. If you look at the roots of Halloween as such, it was a festival celebrated by the Celts in this country. It goes way, way, way back. Many, many, many centuries. uh, Thousands of years probably. um, Predates sort of the Druidic period when Druids were um, uh, the sort of priests of, of the different tribes of people that lived in, on, on this island. And so it goes back a long way. Um, and really what, what it was, it was a celebration of the death of the old year and the birth of the new year. And the 30, round about the 31st of October, although they wouldn't have had the calendar like we would have had, but at this season, round about the 31st of October, it was considered the death of the old year and 1st of November considered the birthing. Of something new, um, if you look, if you you, you know you, you you look at so we can get some brilliant sunsets round about the sort of se- mid September to mid October. There's some incredible sunsets. I don't know if you noticed. There's been some amazing sunsets, and you can see the sun beautiful. It's like you know orange, blood red almost. It's amazing as it begins to set in the sort of the Derbyshire countryside. And you I was driving along the the A52 towards Derby the other day, and I could see the sun setting in the distance, and it was gorgeous. Beautiful uh, orange, and it was beginning to round about sort of what is it, five ish, a couple of weeks back, whatever it was. And you could see the sun literally going down before your eyes. Now, in early pagan history, it was as if the sun is dying, darkness is coming, it's getting colder, the power of death. And so, in the sort of tradition and superstition and, and uh, um, teaching and uh, ritual of, the, of that time, It was a Halloween period, the 31st of October roughly, is this idea of the sun dying, the earth is dying, but looking forward to something arising. Because they also experienced the sun coming up, towards going towards spring and it getting warmer and everything else along with it. uh, The birth of of the new. And So that's what sort of of sets the scene really of this period and time of the year historically. And so it was a time to honour the dead. The sun is dying, the the, 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 the heat is, is is becoming less, it's getting colder, it's darker. You could imagine the feeling of, of being hemmed in, not being able to see, and, and the, the, the cold. And so it was a time of honouring the dead. And it was a death of the old year, but looking forward to the birth of a new year. And so they honoured um, like a, a, a god called Samhain, Lord of the Dead. And um, it was a time of... Of paying homage for the dead and worried about the dead visiting you. And evil spirits coming your way and you wanted to ward off evil spirits. It was a night of the dead in particular. Death rules. Death is all powerful on that particular night. You can imagine dark, cold, the sun dying. um, The life expectancy was much shorter. And so this is really encouraging, isn't it, when you start to look at it like this? (laughs) We shall move on, don't worry. And that's the sort of background. Uh, the sort of environment that Halloween represented, the period of time represented in the hearts and lives of people. It had a spiritual significance as they sought to ward off um, uh, evil spiritual activity. So what they did was they would light fires to ward off evil spirits, the idea of bonfires, and, and, uh, and um, to, to keep the evil spirits away. They would put out um, food. As a, as a way of, uh, we won't call them a treat, but it was a way of, of appeasing the spirits so that there, nothing bad would come o- upon your door. And there's this idea of putting out something good for the spirits, as it were. And um, people were wondering about their future, so they began to look forward. And so they would, they would ask uh, they were divine, there would, would be divination. The druids would would look to tell the future, and what, looking forward to something. There's this idea of, of of looking back, but now looking forward to something fresh. So there were, a lot of divination would go on, as well as this idea of placating the dead. Um, now, because of this persistence of pagan activity, the medieval church, so when Christianity spread, we have what we call Celtic Christianity, many of the Celtic tribes became Christians en masse, and uh, the, these islands became, you know, um, power, uh, the, the gospel spread incredibly. Powerful. There were great revivals over this land, you know, many centuries ago, thousands of years ago. It was quite spectacular, and Christianity spread throughout the Celtic tribes. The, me- the medieval church took um, this this evening, and the word the name Halloween comes from all Hallow's Eve, uh, where we get our modern the modern term Halloween. And so the church took. Uh, The the particular evening, but rather than looking at death and the dead, they, they celebrated the triumph of good over evil, of life over death, and looked towards Jesus Christ, the dawning sun, the rising sun. You can imagine how spectacular this was. And that particular evening was a, was, a, was a night of celebrating the victory of God's power over death and resurrection life. And also they celebrated all those people that had passed on, the saints they called them, Christians that had passed on, now were now dead, but instead of a night on the dead and being worried about the dead, it was a celebration of those um, uh, Christians and people that have lived great lives. And it's a tradition within the Church of England, sort of to this day. But as time went by, um, and, and, so, and so that became a Christianization, as it were, if I've made up a word I may have done, uh, that, that sort of covered that evil night. And so it wasn't a night to... Um Honour the dead in that respect. It was, it was a night of honouring God, holding on in faith, lifting the name of God up high and holding on to the power of the resurrection. Uh, that for this purpose that God has revealed his, through his son, that he's destroyed the works of the evil one. Hence we read uh, 1 John 3 verse 8. And we celebrated and people celebrated great lives that had been lived for God and those that had departed. It, it, it became transformed. Many churches in villages and village areas and outlying areas are built over pagan areas. Christianity sought to, to nullify pagan power and over those festivals nullify pagan power. Now, as the church in the secular age in which we're living, uh, um, its influence has waned a little and the power of the supernatural in the life of the church has waned a little and people have looked upon the church as being a bit more irrelevant to them and the voice of the church has become less and less. Those pagan roots have become louder and louder and louder. And so the danger is now that what's happening is over some places is the pagan roots are rising. And that's what we're faced with in the age in which we now live. In the area of witchcraft, Halloween is considered one of the highest nights of the evening. Today, uh, not today, but on on, on All Hallows' Eve, on Halloween night the 31st of October, um, witches hold what they call a sabbat, which is a night of powerful ritual. I know this because when we were in Scotland, um, we came into contact and had a little bit of dealings with uh, some people that were breaking out of witchcraft and some people that were sort of wrapped up in it a little bit. And uh, we found out a number of things that we didn't look for but came our way. A man called David Porter has written an excellent book on Halloween and he talks about the relevance of Halloween for witchcraft. A witch in in Kent very openly says this in in his book. He he quotes in his book, Halloween Trick or Treat, David Porter, uh, published by Monarch Books. This witch from Kent says this, I love Halloween. I think I'm a very autumn person. We dress up the house with cobwebs uh, and so we cast a circle. I know, we dress up the house with cobwebs. I know, we're trying to get rid of our cobwebs. And we have a smoky cauldron and we do clairvoyance. Into the smoke which comes out of the cauldron. And we open the gates of the underworld, and if any spirits want to come forward, we speak and we listen to them. Another British witch says this My first initiation when I became first degree was on Halloween, and I felt very, very much in tune with the God, whatever God that was. A lady called Sue Arnold was writing for the Radio Times and she was doing an article roundabout on Halloween. It was sort of tongue-in-cheek stuff and she was writing about it, sort of a bit of fun and looking at the reality of it. And she interviewed a witch and this is what she came up with. Halloween is an extremely important time in the witch's calendar. and she quotes this, this lady, this certain witch. She says, uh, this, this witch says, the veil between the two worlds of the living and the dead being almost transparent on the night, making psychic communication much easier. Gosh, this is Liz, Liz Arnold says, gosh, I reply, spellbound by all of this. Can I come too? Certainly not, says this witch. You wouldn't take it seriously. And witchcraft is a serious business. That was in the Radio Times some years ago. A man called Cliff Burroughs, he worked with Billy Graham and the Billy Graham Foundation. Billy Graham, great evangelist. Chris Burroughs was like a right-hand man. They worked together for, for many, many years. He was on a Greyhound bus going across the United States. And uh, this is an an- one of those anecdotal stories, but it- he tells this story on this bus, you know, going across the states, and he, he sees a-, a guy on this bus, um, sort of, you know, mumbling and what have you and he-, he sort of feels, I wonder if this guy's a Christian, is he praying, sort of thing. And he noticed him on there. It was a long, long, long old journey; he hadn't eaten, and didn't have his packed lunch or whatever it was, or get off when they stopped to go to eat, but he stayed on. And he was, he said, you know, went with his gut feeling, and said, "Excuse me." Um, i just can't help noticing you know you seem to be as almost as if you like you're praying or something so this guy says, oh yeah i am actually and so chris burrow says you know are you a christian he says no i'm not i'm a satanist he said wow <laughs> you know what are you praying are you praying he says yeah yeah, i'm praying actually He said, well, what are you praying didn't, didn't recognize didn't know cliff burrows this guy didn't mix in those circles obviously did he? <laughs> so he wouldn't recognize him and so i so asked him well you know, well, you know what, what you're praying about he says, oh, I'm praying about, you know, the rise of Satan, the power of Satan on the earth, and the downfall of the church. <laughs> Interesting little anecdotal story, but you get a bit of a, a, a background to what is on the, the prayer list in witchcraft and Satanism. You know, in the decade of evangelism, you know, it was it the late 90s, wasn't it? There was what was called the decade of evangelism in, throughout the church. Um, so in Satanism, they had the, what they called the decade of vengeance, I don't know if you've ever heard that, but there was a mirroring of the church. There was not a lot of people heard that, and we don't want to publicize that necessarily because we're not reveling in it because God is almighty. But when there was the decade of evangelism throughout the church in the late 90s or whatever it was, there was in Satanism, in which God, a decade of vengeance, a desire to pray against. All of the good things of God. Even our own church, the Oasis, uh, our church on Derby Road. You know, before my time, going back many, many years ago, some of you may remember um, the tussle that there had been historically with witches coming into the church and actually um, putting um, a cord around the building. If you, you know, some of you might not realise this, but some of you may remember. I, I know the story about uh, seeking to put something around and to pray it uh, about and against the church You know, many, many, many years ago. Um, what about how do we respond then as we close? Because I am not saying that somebody that goes to Asda and buys some candy is involved in witchcraft. No, I'm not saying that. Of course not. What I am saying is that behind this dark evening that's coming up in a few days' time, there is a significant evil. But I do not equate the people that are going into this particular big superstore and buying this stuff are necessarily evil. I'm not saying that at all don't realise what is behind it, do we? Um, So what can we do? And what should be our response as believers? And uh, with this, we'll be closing. Um, Can something with such ghoulish roots be fun? My question would be this. Um, Can something with such a ghoulish background... I mean, you've only got to look at some of the masks and the fake blood that's out there now. It seems to be getting... I know it's made to be more fun, but something as ghoulish as that, blood... And fake the fake masks. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen this. There's, there's a, a, a awful film called The Scream. And there's a scream mask. It, it's horrible. It freaks me out. But it doesn't freak out a lot of people. And this is, I think, the danger. Because when we make fun of something that is so ghoulishly evil. And it's just a bit of fun. It has an effect over time of anesthetizing our senses. I'm not a prude. I don't want to stop people having fun in life. And if you want to have a party when it's dark, have one. But not with the trappings of Halloween or Halloween. It's the desire to make fun of something that is intrinsically macabre, ghoulish, fiendish, intrinsically evil. And even if you look at the mask, you, you know, might not want to, I don't, you know, wouldn't wish you to. But the scream mask, it's horrible. It would freak you out. So much so that it often gets banned if youngsters turn up at a um, fancy dress party because it's that yuck, it's that horrible, it's, it's pretty ghoulish. And yet, people would watch it and we're becoming accustomed to the point where it's just a bit of fun. It, you know, it, it, it doesn't, it, what it has, it has an effect of anaesthetising us and I think that's where the danger perhaps could be. Not only is it an effect of anaesthetising, but I think that the fun aspect... There's two sides to this. There's fun and fear. And both can end in one root, fascination. There's an aspect of fun. Oh, it's just a bit of fun. And then I could paint the total aspect of terrible fear. Oh, they're coming to get you. And they're sacrificed. And they're going to get you. Batten down the hatches. Lock the doors. And we could make make ourselves all fearful. And there's something grotesquely fascinating about fear. As a child, as a little lad, probably about six years of age, I remember watching, this would please Richard Dawson, Doctor Who, as a little un and the Daleks in Doctor Who. And I would have been about, no, five years of age. No, four years of age. I'm going back even earlier because I lived in Camberley in Surrey. We moved when I was about five or six into Cornwall. So I'd be about four. And I would hide behind the settee when the Daleks came on and said exterminate. But peek out and have a little look. People do that with horror movies. They won't watch. They won't watch, but I can't. But you do. There's something fascinating. Fear and fun has a danger of leading to something in the human spirit, a fascination. And bearing in mind that the poll showed that a lot of young people are open to change in life, there's something about fear and fun and the fascination in youth in particular uh, I should think is dangerous. So that's my first thing. My second thing is this we should teach those around us, our families, our friends, children, and around us, the biblical instructions from. What we've just read in Deuteronomy about what the God says: God gives a plan for life and says, "Don't contact the dead. Don't divine. Um, you know, uh, d- don't don't um, be involved in witchcraft. Why? This is a danger. This will lead you to captivity. If you contact them, you'll be captured by them. And you find that people that get involved in the occult very often get captured by certain sicknesses, certain things, and can't escape. And it takes a lot to escape. God doesn't capture us." He loves us and releases us. He asks us to, give us, us to give us our whole lives to him. And then he lets us free. Isn't that amazing? But Satan promises everything and then holds on to you. But the Lord God holds on to us and then releases us with open arms for freedom in Christ. It's incredible. And you find that the occult captures. And so that's the day. So we need to just teach that in a down-to-earth, biblical way without putting fear into the hearts of our children and those around us because jesus is alive and i balance that with one john 3 8 he's come to destroy the works of the evil one greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world fantastic and so we've shared that with our children and we've talked and that's the way i've talked and i've talked very openly about the reality of witchcraft but not overplayed it so um you know my, my daughters will say to a friend oh you know Well, there is a reality to witchcraft, you know, and they go, oh, no, there isn't. And then they'll say, well, my dad saw this. Um, We prayed about poltergeists in such and such a house. And we did. That's some of the stuff that there is a reality to it, but not overplay it, but not overplay it. And thirdly, um, we need to keep calm, be informed and steer clear of evangelical jargon. You know, if we're in the playground or we speak to a teacher or we speak to a friend at work, we can really bash them with the Bible, can't we? I think people can feel ba- They don't want to be bashed. People don't want to be bashed, but they, they will talk. They will talk. And I think the danger is for us as Christians that we can really bash them. And um, then we wonder why people just steer clear of us. But there's a way of saying to people, I'm concerned about the nature of this. I've had experience of unheard of. Da, 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 da. And if people hear the reality, they're open. Because why? Today, people are open to the spiritual realm. Yeah. When I was in Newcastle, I remember having a phone call. In Aberdeen saw many of these things. But in Newcastle, a family rang us to say, could you come and pray in our house? I didn't come to the church in Newcastle. They had a poltergeist. Something was moving around in the, in the room. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, what are you ringing me for? <laughs> 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 oh... Went into the room, it was so cold, mm. heating was on. Like the stuff you see in a movie, it's real. But we prayed and lifted up the name of Jesus. I didn't, nothing manifested in that room, but the family then began to say that they felt they didn't hear the noises anymore. After a length of time, the house felt more peaceful. I tell you, it's real, it is real. But if you explain it in a down-to-earth way like I've just done, people will say, wow, I didn't realise that. Well, let's talk about it a bit more. People are open to talk about spiritual reality. I believe this. As the days get darker, with this we're closed, the church needs to get brighter. As the days get darker, we, the church, will need to allow the Holy Spirit to burn in us and through us all the brighter. You know, we do not need to light bonfires to scare evil spirits away. We just need to let the fire of God be released through our lives by the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. That's as simple as that. I'm not superstitious, I don't need to light a bonfire, I don't need to be frightened or scared, nor am I overly triumphalistic either. I just need to let the fire, I need to be passionate and believe and truly believe and hold the good things of God and let God hold my life. Burn with the fire of God in my heart. A man called Ronald Bunker, I heard him say this, he said, flies don't land on a hot stove. What a good statement, I wrote it down some years ago. He said, if you're worried about the devil, you're worried about things going wrong, you're worried about evil spirits. He said, flies, he, he was talking from an African perspective. Flies don't land on a hot stove. In other words, catch fire, let your heart burn, go for God, believe in it, really go. And you know, the church today, we've got a great task and a great privilege before us because the world is open to the spiritual and spirituality. And if we can burn, if we truly burn with the passion, the love, the power, the the grace, the mercy, and the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, the world will take note. The world takes note. The devil seeks to counterfeit. Why does he counterfeit? Because there's something good. Why does a counterfeiter counterfeit 50-pound notes? Well, he wants to try and make money, but because there's something really good out there, and he's trying to jump in on the action. And the devil knows it's good, but he's fighting against it, so he's counterfeiting. But there's the real thing. There's the real thing, Almighty God, the person and power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was Elijah that took on over 850 prophets of Baal in the book of Kings. when, When the nation was in a frenzy, it took one man to be filled with faith. When the prophets of Baal frenzily cut themselves and called upon Baal, their, their pagan gods, and the calling upon fire, it took a faith-filled man to call upon the fire of God. That's what it takes, faith-filled people, not frenzied people. They don't have to join in the frenzy of the age in which we live, the materialism of our age, running after this and running after that, but to be faith filled people and say, Lord, I want my life to reflect. I want to live for you. I love you. I thank you. I thank you for this purpose. Christ was revealed to destroy the works of the evil one. you have destroying them in my life. You've destroyed them. You're destroying them in the world. We want you to be seen in our lives, our church and in the church of this age. The thing is this, if the people don't see a light, a spark and they don't see fire, they'll look for something somewhere. All that glitters is not gold. And the devil will shine. He says you will appear angels of light. The devil can appear as an angel of light at times. All that glitters is not gold. But the real thing, when Moses saw a burning bush that would not consume the fire of God in our hearts and in our lives. As the days get darker, the church needs to burn even brighter. So before we go, look at that cue. In that big superstore that's got an American background with all those people queuing up there. <coughs> Terrible, that. Wow, if we burn. If we burn. If we burn. If the church burns. If we're passionate, alive. Uh, going for God. Really giving our lives and going for God. I tell you what, the world will see. They'll see something. See something of Jesus in me. And that's our response to Halloween. Something of Jesus In me. Should we stand together as we close? God bless you. Something of Jesus in me. Lord, see our hearts. These are our lives. And we're saying, Holy Spirit, this day as we've opened up our hearts and lives and worshipping you, and uh, we're just saying, Lord Jesus, take our lives and our hearts. It's a sense of desire that we might burn afresh for you today. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for such a time as this, that you've placed me in our church at this time, in this place. Today, you've placed us here now. There is an amazing divine opportunity. So many people are open to spiritual things, but we don't want them to see the counterfeit. We want them to see the real thing, God. We want them to see the real thing, the real thing in me. So, Lord, forgive me if I've grown cold. Forgive me if, you know, circumstances put my fire out. I've been quenched, I've been buffeted, I've been snuffed out perhaps by pain or worry or fear. Maybe circumstances taken my time and the fire, of the coals have grown dim. This morning I come before you, Father God, not with any need of condemnation, but you come and stir our hearts. You stir You stir us, Holy Spirit, and we're saying we're here for you for such a time as this, Father God. Will you fill me afresh? I pray for a fresh release of your power. Pray for a fresh release of your spirit in my heart and in my life. Plant a a fresh desire for your things. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will come to you. We just pray, Father God, that you would stir our hearts this morning. Light a fire in me. Light a fire in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.